Haggadah came to Sarajevo for a reason. It was here to test us, to see if there were people who could see that what united us was more than what divided us, that to be a human being matters more than to be a Jew or a Muslim, Catholic or Orthodox. Geraldine Brooks, People of the Book. Welcome to Bookish, a literary podcast. I'm Paul, and it's time again for our weekly Sunday ramble. Now, I know that just about every week I say that this is the most rambly of the rambles, but I think this week it actually might be. It's all tied together by a common theme, including the book recommendation at the end, but the theme itself is a little bit rambling. And you'll see why in just a minute. Before we get too deep in today's topic, however, I want to encourage everyone to listen past the end of this episode, because at the end of every episode, there's a short segment about how you can support us. And I wonder sometimes if people actually listen that far, because I usually say, have a bookish week, keep on reading, whatever. And it seems like that would be the sign off, but there's actually an encouragement to get on board the bookish team that immediately follows that. So I hope you'll stay tuned for that part. Anyway, if you've been listening for a long time, you know that very early in the incarnation of bookish, we did an episode about how the Bible is literature. And if you haven't listened to that one, I encourage you to, uh, to go back and take a listen. It starts off with a quote from Bruce Springsteen as everything should. I haven't given a lot of time or frankly, airspace for that matter, to the subject of the Bible or any religious text since that episode. And I'm starting to wonder, since this is a Sunday ramble and Sunday is the day of rest and a religious day for many people around the world, why that is. Because religions in general are very bookish. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Now, don't immediately switch off because you think I'm trying to preach to you. I'm not. I may go into my preacher voice at one point, but probably not even that. Most religions are founded on a book, which makes them bookish. So let's explore a little of that today. We'll be right back. Geraldine Brooks quote from the excellent novel people of the book to open this episode and I actually reviewed that book as the recommendation for the week in our last Sunday ramble but the reason that I used that one is because the people of the book is a title that fits nicely with what I'm rambling about today it's a phrase most often associated with Islam because Muslims consider Jews Christians and sometimes Zoroastrians as people of the book and therefore at least a step above pagans. 
and by people of the book, they mean people who know the Bible. But it's certainly not just Muslims who have used the term. Jews also refer to themselves as people of the book, meaning the Torah and the writings. And many Christians, particularly evangelical Christians, refer to themselves as people of the book, meaning the Old and New Testaments. I said when the episode opened that religions are bookish because they're founded on books. Before any of you have your head explode, particularly if you are a true believer in whatever it is you believe, I don't mean that the books necessarily came first. I understand that the books of each great religion are a record of their history and what they believe about life here on earth and after death and about God or whatever it is they happen to call God. I'm not saying that any believer of any sort is a bibliolater or one who worships books. I've actually been accused of that and there's probably times where it's been more accurate than others. And we're not talking about religious texts in this case. People have often accused me of worshiping Hemingway, and if you're going to worship somebody, there's worse people to worship. And yeah, that was really just a cheap attempt, successful though it was, to get Hemingway's name into this conversation where it otherwise would never have been. Because as you know, I always have to mention Bruce, and I always have to mention Hemingway. So anyway, what makes religion, particularly the major world religions, so bookish? Well, I think the answer to that in a lot of ways is simply obvious. If you're a Christian, you typically study the Bible. If you're a Protestant, particularly an evangelical, you typically carry a Bible with you to church every Sunday. The preacher preaches from the Bible. The book has become a centerpiece. Now, it's not as much of a centerpiece in the Catholic tradition because the Eucharist is equally as important as the reading of the Bible. But another book that the Catholic Church has elevated pretty high is the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which is a giant doorstop of a volume that explains pretty much everything Catholics believe about pretty much everything, at least in the instances where you don't have the Pope just going off rambling like I'm doing now. And with the current Pope, He actually rambles way more than I do. Now that I've managed to offend all of my Catholic listeners, understand, I was one of you. I tell people it took me 10 years as an atheist to recover from 12 years of Catholic school. The nuns still terrify me. Wow, I am really rambling today. Anyway, if you're a religious Christian of any kind, or even a nominal Christian of any kind, or just interested in history and culture, The Bible is something you read. For my Muslim friends, the Quran is paramount in your belief system. Again, you go to a book. And you hold that book very dear. For my Jewish friends, it actually goes a step further. Because not only do they study the Torah, study the prophets, study the writings, but the Bible itself commands them to write its words on their doorposts and to wear them on their foreheads and to meditate on them when they go out and when they come in. That is bookish. And this bookishness 
which is not an easy word to say, is not confined to Judaism, Christianity, or Islam. It's true in Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism, just about anything that you can think of that has an ism attached to it. The Buddhists have the Dhammapada, the Lotus Sutra, the Diamond Sutra, just many, many writings, mainly on the teachings of the Buddha. Taoists, which we're actually going to talk about towards the end of the episode in a little more depth, have the Tao Te Ching. And the two main Hindu texts are the Bhagavad Gita and the Upanishads. So again, all very book-centered. And think about it for a minute. If you're a religious seeker of any kind, and you say you're interested in Christianity, and you have a Christian friend, you may go to them and say, hey, I want to know more about Christianity. Now, in a lot of cases, they'll sit you down over coffee and try to give you some high points at least. But most of us, no matter what we believe, have sometimes run into trouble explaining it. So what they're more likely to do is hand you a Bible. For Christians, particularly the Gospel of Mark or the Gospel of John would be what they'd give you because they're pretty easy to understand Well, Mark is, John not so much, but they have the basic teachings. They give you the life of Jesus and why Christians believe what they believe. If you ask the same thing of a Mormon friend, they're going to hand you a Book of Mormon. Someone who still worships the Greek gods, and yes, believe it or not, there are people out there who do, might just hand you Edith Hamilton's classic mythology book. And if you were to tell me that you wanted to join the fellowship of the E Street Band, I'm going to hand you Springsteen's autobiography, Born to Run. Books are ultimately the best way to spread beliefs of any kind. And not just religious, obviously. Just ask Karl Marx. So why does any of this matter? Well, I think for a couple reasons. One is that it's virtually impossible to fully understand history and culture of any country or region without understanding their key religions. And while religious belief and practice may be declining, at least somewhat, in the United States, that is not true in the rest of the world, at least outside of Western Europe. You can't fully understand India without some knowledge of Hinduism. You can't fully understand the conflict that is still ongoing between two nuclear powers, Pakistan and India, without understanding Islam and Hinduism and how they have interrelated through the centuries in the Indian subcontinent. You can't fully understand the Japanese mind And in fact, if you're not Japanese, you can never fully understand the Japanese mind, but you can't begin to grasp the Japanese mind without some knowledge of both Buddhism and Shinto, which is uh, ancestor worship. And you cannot understand conservatives in America today without some knowledge of the religious right and the conservative resurgence of the late 1970s and early 1980s. It's just something that is required to be able to get your head around it. 
I'm not saying you need to be an expert in any of these things. And I'm not saying you need to believe any of the things that are taught in them. But you do need to be aware of them. So you're not going into any conversation completely blind. The other reason it's important to have a working knowledge of other religions is as a way to build a bridge between people you encounter. Because even people who aren't strong believers still have a background culturally in whatever the dominant religion of their region was. And if I want to build a relationship with a Muslim friend, it's important that I know something about Islam. Now, it doesn't have to be the main focus. In fact, for most of us, our religious beliefs are not our main focus. But just a knowledge of it shows that you're willing to take the step to try to understand where they're coming from. And hopefully they're doing the same for you. It's not that much different than learning a few phrases in the language of a foreign country that you're traveling to. You're not going to be able to speak fluently. You're going to sound like an idiot a lot of the time. You're going to ask for a shoe with cheese on it when you mean an omelet. But the person you're speaking to is going to recognize that you respected them enough to at least try and not, in the case of Americans, assume that everyone needs to understand English and that ultimately everyone can understand English provided you speak it slowly enough and loudly enough. It's ultimately simply a gesture of respect. And nowadays, gestures of respect are something that are in short supply. And here's the really cool thing. It doesn't take a lot of effort to get a very basic working knowledge of what other people believe. You don't need to read the complete works of St. Thomas Aquinas or the Institutes of John Calvin or all of the writings of the Grand Mufti of Cairo. All you really need, and this is going to be one of the few times that I recommend these books, is either the Idiots series or the For Dummies series. For example, Catholicism for Dummies is one of the best volumes I've ever read explaining the Catholic Church and what Catholics believe. The Complete Idiot's Guide to the World's Religions is one of the best one-volume, very short explanations of all the major world religions. And if you want to go just a bit deeper than that, I highly recommend Houston Smith's Religions of the World, especially the illustrated version, Breathtaking Pictures. So give it a shot, particularly if you're a bookish person, because, hey, it involves reading. We'll be right back. earlier that we would get more into Taoism at this point in the episode, and that's partially true. It's partially true because the book recommendation for this Sunday Ramble is The Tao of Pooh by Benjamin Hoff. It's an explanation of Taoism using the examples from A.A. Milne's Winnie the Pooh series. It sounds crazy, I know, and I thought it was kind of crazy when I first picked it up. Sometime in the 
early 90s, I believe. I'm pretty sure I was still in the Army when I first found it. But if you think about it, is there really any better teacher of anything than Winnie the Pooh? I mean, have any of us ever had a more laid-back teacher than Pooh, who was chill and wise all at the same time? It's a rare combination. The book was published in 1982, and has been revised several times since then, but when it was published really doesn't matter because the Pooh tales are timeless, as are a lot of the tales within the Tao Te Ching, on which Taoism is based. It talks a lot about balance and finding the good in all things, and in that sense it seems a little bit like a self-help book, but it's really so much better than that. It's a great read, totally aside from any of the spiritual overtones or undertones actually because he never really hits you over the head with any of it but you do come away from it with a better understanding of Taoism and what Taoists believe now are you going to run into a lot of Taoists probably not unless you travel to China where it is still fairly popular but you'll meet a few people in America that semi-practice it I say semi-practice it because Taoism in itself is not really a religion as we understand religions. It's more a mindset and a way of walking through the world. Anyway, if nothing else, it's a good excuse to read more about Pooh. And there are some really great classic Pooh illustrations in the book. So check it out. Again, The Tao of Pooh by Benjamin Hoff. That's the Sunday Ramble for this week. I hope you have a great week and keep on reading. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Bookish. I hope you found it both informative and entertaining. If you'd like to keep episodes like this coming, I'd also like you to consider supporting us by clicking the support this podcast link on the anchor site for as little as 99 cents a month you can keep episodes like this coming and also help us get to the point where we're completely ad free thanks again Mm -hmm.